Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 57, the one about e-marketing excellence, getting to the point, wireless microphones, and the evil dead. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And my co-host, as always, is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. The highlight of my week, indeed, to spend time with the man who's also on the mission to keep marketing simple. The voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Rockwell video series, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much, Pascal. And, and welcome back to Blighty. Welcome yes. back to Blighty. Thank you very much. <laughs> You had a great time in France. Yeah, it was fascinating. I'll share some of the insights in terms of de- dealing with um, French local businesses and their use of the internet during the show. But I have to say, for the first time in a month, I had to put the heating on. Oh, my goodness. Well, it certainly, cert- the temperatures certainly dropped. I have to admit up here in Scotland, <laughs> I can feel the icy tentacles of winter are starting to uh, constrict around my neck. So this week, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things, as always. We've got some great tech to look at. We've got some content. We've got some people to shout out in the creators um, section of the show. But later on, we're going to be talking about possibly one of the scariest films that was ever made, and actually a film that is still banned in a number of countries. So stick around for the end of the show when we get into film marketing, because we're going to be talking about 1981's The Evil Dead. But we've got a few sections to get through until then. So, Pascal, shall we start with In the News? Let's go. And we begin with Facebook. It would seem that the leak of tens of thousands of damaging documents has not hindered its growth as the business saw profit rise 17% year-on-year to more than $9 billion for the third quarter of 2021. Having received an order for 100,000 of its vehicles from rental company Hertz, Tesla is approaching a market valuation of $1 trillion. My That's goodness. That's £727 billion. Pounds. Ooh, well, Tesco's about about time. Website and app were down for almost 48 hours after a potential hack, with customers unable to order goods or track or even cancel deliveries. KFC was awarded Brand of the Year in the Marketing Week Masters Awards, beating off competition from brands such as ASOS and Channel 4. They were commended for dropping their finger-licking good slogan. Interesting, where Gap has launched its holiday marketing campaign entitled All Together Now and starring Katy Perry. The campaign builds on the brand's theme of modern American optimism introduced last year. Campbell's has partnered with Universal Music Group, UMG, on a series of specially marked soup cans that unlock songs and additional content via QR codes that leads customers to recipes, behind-the-scenes content and newly recorded songs from UMG artists. Well, three of the UK's marketing trade bodies and associations are calling on the government to help resolve the digital skills gap by funding industry-led training programmes. And finally, back to Facebook. Facebook has announced that it's rebranding the name of its holding company, which from now on will be called Meta. 
this will undoubtedly cause lots of debate across the world. And in fact, we'll start that debate right <laughs> here on the Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast. So, Pascal, what do you think of Meta? Well, if our regular listeners and viewers have been keeping track, you and I discussed the term metaverse a few weeks ago, and therefore I've got to continue in saying, to me, it's so meaningless that it has no value, no value proposition. Um, I mean, let me ask the question, perhaps when you do some research, but okay, you have a new name, Meta, but you have then the accompanying strap lines, you have the proposition, you have the value statement. Um to me, it will be as insignificant to the wider world as when Google became Alphabet, you know, and, and then they could do more and bigger things. I take it as a sign that they have planned, understandably so, to go into maybe other territories than the one that we know them for. But um, yeah, good luck to them. But I don't like the term. I think it's uh, very misleading, depending on how you take it. And um, I think people will just not even know that it exists. Yeah, I've seen a few interesting and quite funny takes on this. I've seen somebody refer to it as meh. To, as in meh, which I thought was quite funny. Um, our, a good uh, um, friend of ours from the States, Mr. Mark Schaefer, described it as lipstick on a pig, which is uh, which is a, a derogatory way of describing how brands, which are inherently not very good, really can't reinvent themselves simply by changing their logo. And let's face it, Facebook does not have a good reputation. You know, it's been implicated in, in data breaches. It's been implicated in, you know, even fixing of elections um, and all sorts of um, whistleblowing things going on at the moment. So I think the lipstick on the pig uh, analogy actually fits fits quite well here. Um, so let's not give them too much airtime. Let's just, I, I'll agree with you, Pascal. Let's see how it goes. Meta, I'm not massively a fan of it. And I agree with you. There's so much talk in the marketing space at the moment about the metaverse. And, and it's just the latest shiny toy. It's not, it doesn't meet any customer need that I can see. Uh, it's just a load of technical people and marketing people getting extremely excited about the latest shiny toy. And let's just wait and see how it plays out. Now, have you ever driven an electric car, Pascal? I've been a passenger, but I've not driven one, no. No, I've, I've been a passenger and the same myself. I mean, it is quite weird, isn't it, when you're in one and you can't hear it. You can't hear the engine. You can't hear it revving up. You don't feel mm. that that sort of uh, explosion of the of the power of the uh, of the petrol engine when you put your foot on the accelerator. I think that is quite weird, but obviously something that we'll we'll get used to. But wow, it hurts buying a hundred thousand Teslas. I think what is interesting about this one is back back to the positioning and moving in early. So they are probably looking at the next few years of adoption about their customers asking for the electric car as a rental service as opposed to the one that are obviously fueled and energized by petrol. What has been interesting to observe is back to the sign day of missing out what f the car experience was around the noise. And I'm aware of some companies looking to introduce the noise artificially back into <laughs> the environment of driving cars because there's been some tests done in the US where people have reported being feeling motion sickness because uh -huh. they were moving with no sound. And yeah. the body's struggling to kind of um, you know make sense of what's going on. Oh, that, that's that's it's, it's almost like you know your filmmaker hat, isn't it? Where you actually add sound effects back into your um, production later on. Imagine having to add the sound of a car 
into a car. That's just that's just bizarre. That's just bizarre. And finally, I wanted to to, to look at KFC, um, winning brand of the year at the Marketing Week Masters Awards. Now we did talk about KFC a while back on Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast because we did think that it was very brave of them, but also incredibly clever of them to drop their finger licking good slogan effectively at the beginning of the pandemic i think if i remember back they just relaunched a finger licking good campaign they'd signed off all the advertising they'd signed off all the um, branding and the and the new um, creatives and literally within weeks the pandemic took hold and we were all locked down and they realized that we can't really be encouraging people to lick their fingers when we're in this situation of a of a disease spreading throughout the world so they they took the decision to effectively bin that entire campaign and they recreated another campaign without the finger licking good strap line and you know brave as it was and probably necessary as it was it's actually paid off here they are winning this award I remember vividly it made the in the news and the content spotlights because yeah. you know we're just so interested about this idea of you know taking out one of your key elements of your of your marketing. But it felt so responsible, it was so insightful and so in line with the mood of the time that the audience, sometimes even, I would argue, non-KFC customers just reacted positively and um, I think served them well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, now it's making me think that I feel like I want to have some KFC, <laughs> but maybe not, maybe not. So, as always, I actually could have probably sat here and talked to you about all of those news items. The Katy Perry one was very interested in Campbell's mm. soup uh, cans leading to to musicians and, and that sort of content. Very, very interesting. But we do need to move on. We still have that film, The Evil Dead, to talk about later on in the show. So let's move on to the next section, which is the content spotlights. And in this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table an item of content. It could be an article, podcast, video, and we dissect that piece of content. So, Pascal, what have you got in your spotlight this week? I think for the very first time on Two Geeks and Marketing Podcasts, I'm bringing a book, an entire book. I've had a, a few. Uh, and let me give you a bit of context. So, I need more space, Roger. And I need to let go of some of my books, which is a very painful thing. I don't know about you, but I feel very attached to um, books as well as DVDs and Blu-rays. And I made a big pile of books to make more space to more books, potentially, to donate to the local library. And they will accept business books as well. And I rediscovered this book that was written 20 years ago. Exactly. We are approaching the 20th anniversary of e-marketing excellence, the heart of e-business, written by P.R. Smith and D- Dave Chaffee. Dave Chaffee thinks the one that people will know in the world of marketing and business from Smart Insights and also the Race Framework. And I will confess, when I realized that this book was 20 years old, I nearly said, mm, this is too old. I can't gather the library. I could even potentially, Roger, bin this because, hey, 20 years is a long time. But anyway, I sat down to quickly read the book and I read the book for an entire afternoon. <laughs> and even though, even though this was written 20 years ago, Roger, it is so relevant and it is so interesting. So very, very quickly, a book written in 2001 
10 chapters to open the minds of leaders and small business, but also of students about e-marketing and what it means to be an online business. So 2001. So we have 10 chapters all looking at a definition of e-marketing, looking, yes, Roger, by the four Ps, yes, so the remix and the impact of digital, looking at different e-business models, the online customer, online tools, Website design, which I thought was interesting to have that chapter in there 20 years ago, how to build traffic to the website, online customer relationship, online business, and final one to strap it up, online planning, so a whole section on strategy. And I found myself just reading it with immense nostalgia, but thinking also, I am impressed because this is still relevant statement. They are still really relevant in terms of the thinking, the planning, the execution. I want to read out just one paragraph, which I think says it all in terms of why, A, I'm going to keep this book. Sorry to the local library. And of course, Dave would be pleased I'm not going to bid it either. So this is what the statement says. E-marketing can help create a business which is customer-led, where the customer participates through constant dialogue, expressing interest, requesting products and services, suggesting improvements, giving feedback, where ultimately the customer drives the business. And so it goes on. And this just talks about objectives first, you'd be pleased to know, then strategy, then ta tactics, then action plan, and of course, how to control what you do. And I would argue that there are four, sorry, five broad benefits, reasons, or objectives. Sell more, serve better, speak more often, save, or sizzle, which is the idea of extending the reach of your message beyond the traditional means. And I'm going to close just because you can tell how excited I am to A, rediscover the book, but also to keep it now on my shelves with a statement that is mentioned in the book from David Siegel, an entrepreneur, but also pioneer of the internet and web design from 2000. E-marketing is not about building a website, but building a web business harmonized with the power of customers. Wow. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it refreshing to read something where the customer word is absolutely in the spotlight, um, to borrow a term from our show? I think, it, again, it, it, it really makes me feel good that <laughs> when you, you know, something like this, that as you say, it's 20 years old, and a lot of people would just dismiss it now, oh, the world's changed. But actually, as we've often say on this show, the absolute basic fundamentals of marketing have not changed, whether we have digital or whether we're using um, ink pens and quill ink pens and quill pens. The fundamentals are the same. You start with the needs of the customer, you develop a solution to a customer's problem, and then you set yourself some goals, and then you start to use communications tactics to draw people's attentions to it. And, and those principles never change. And, you know, yes, we can get upset about the obsession that a lot of people have with just the digital tactics, and that's fine, but the absolute principles stay the same and that proves it that a book like this is effectively evergreen, you know. Absolutely. So thank you to P.R. Smith and Dave Chaffer. I had a wonderful afternoon reading it with a smile on my face because sometimes it is quirky to see what people thought of, you know, the online marketing in 2001. But when it comes to the strategy and to your point about the customer drives the business, nothing has changed. And if anything, on occasion, I would argue we lost our way. And it is maybe 
a call for going back to those um, basic principles by reading publications from maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, as opposed to the latest manual about how to be a rock star on Clubhouse. I'll say no more about it. (laughs) So, Pascal, this week uh, I've got an article from Make It, which is a part of CNBC. And this article is written by Joel Schwartzberg. And the headline is just one of those headlines that just grabbed my attention. Stop rambling, it says. Here's how the most successful people get to the point, says public speaking expert. Now, obviously... Um, things are starting to pick up again now that the pandemic hopefully is um, starting to run its course. I'm getting more inquiries about speaking engagements, some of which are online still, some of which are actually going to be in real life. So I'm still on the lookout for anything at all which can help me to, uh, you know, to stay on top of my game when it comes to, to public speaking. And quite a bit recently, I've been watching um, recordings of talks on YouTube. I've been watching talks on TV. And it does occur to me that sometimes people just don't get to the point, do they? They just meander around a topic. They never actually seem to land the point that they're trying to make. And this article really just brings it all together for me. And effectively, this this guy is saying, you know, you can you can have two speakers in a room and they might start talking about, say, social media. And, and if you actually stopped them and say, tell me what the point of your presentation is, one of them might well say, well, I'm talking about social media marketing. And the guy, the guy says, no, 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 that's not a point. That's a topic. Social media marketing is a topic. Uh, it's, okay, actually, what I'm actually talking about is I'm, I'm talking about the importance of social media marketing. And the guy says, no, 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 that's a title that's that's a, maybe the title of your talk it's not a point what's the point that you're making um and the guy says well actually okay let, let's talk about the rising phenomenon of social media marketing and again this guy saying no that's not a point that's a theme i want to know what the point of your talk is and really the rest of the article is just about the way you put a point across. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this might be saying, hold on a second, it's very easy to put a point across, isn't it? But again, if you actually listen and watch quite a lot of talks these days, they don't. They just talk about themes. They talk about in enti- they talk in titles or they talk in, you know, concepts. And he just comes up with this really simple way of turning something that you're talking about into a point. And you don't actually have to do this when you deliver it, but this is how you can prepare it. And he says that if you put the words, I believe that, in front of any sentence that you're going to speak, it will not be a point unless it meets certain criteria. And he gives a few examples. So I believe the innovations in IT are very important. That's not a point. You've got to say something like, I believe that innovations in IT will make us more efficient by improving customer service. Again, this is not a point. I believe in inequality. What he's saying is you need to actually add something on that. So I believe inequality is America's biggest domestic challenge. That's a point. And 
It might seem really, really basic, but this is just a great lesson in how to craft your words better so that people who are listening to what you're saying actually get it rather than just hearing a load of themes and titles strung together. So it goes into a little bit more detail and, you, you know, how to avoid truisms, how to include the use, the use of the word why, and, and, and how to in, include something which describes the high impact of what you're trying to say it's 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 not a short article it's not a long one either i think you're probably talking about four or five minutes to read it but it's one of those ones that you actually want to sit down and start writing your own points on paper just to see whether you can follow the rules that he's saying so thank you for that joel schwartzberg we're going to stop rambling and we're going to get to the point what is uh, fascinating is that I was having the same kind of deliberation myself. I'm preparing a new presentation for next week. And I was reading the um, the brief from the customer. And the reason I was struggling, Roger, is that I did not understand the point they wanted me to make as a result of my contribution. And I had to read the document several times. I had to get in touch with the organization saying, when it's all said and done and I've done my bit, you know, what is the point? What do you want people to be able to do or what do you want them to think? What do you want them to be, become more curious about? And once they expressed it, it was so much clearer than the written brief that they sent me. And that's understandable. It takes time sometimes to, to really get down to what is the point of this presentation, this conversation. And I think more importantly, Roger, it's almost if you didn't have an hour but just five minutes, what would you say instead? That's mm. also a very, very important exercise because then you can make the point. I mean, you and I have been in a situation before where we've been invited to speak, but because of problems and issues, our time on stage, be it virtual or uh, physical, is then reduced. And we have to get to the point. We no longer have the 45, the 50 minutes. We have maybe 35. I mean, in a case where I was kicked out of the room because of a fire alarm, I had 10 minutes to then come back and quickly do a chalk and talk. So, yeah, I can't wait to read that because the timing is, is impeccable. Fantastic. And it, it's always good, as we say so many times on the show, to re be reminded of the basics. And in, in this case, it's a really simple concept, but it's one that a lot of people need to be reminded of. So a couple of really good content spotlights once again. Now, Pascal, it's time for us to focus the spotlight onto marketing technology. So shall we move on to the next section, marketing tech and apps? And in this section of the show, Pascal and I bring some marketing tech and apps to the table, things that might enrich our productivity or make us look better on video or audio. So, Pascal, what have you got for us this week? This week, my two selections are the results of recent conversation I've had with customers who are getting ready or are pretty much ready for the end of year festivities and selling more, getting the message out there and so on. And we reached a conclusion that because of the pandemic and, and all the forces at play, they've been very isolated. And on occasion, the direct impact was lack of inspiration, lack of ideas and needed to be with others to discuss it. 
So in addition to encourage them to be more uh, organized as a cohort and keep in touch with each other, I mentioned to them two websites that can be a great source of inspiration for selling products online, although you could argue that maybe they could work for services as well. So the first one is called junglescout.com. And this is a platform that is meant to support you if you are selling on Amazon, but I think you could use it no matter where you sell. And it is it gives you data and insight into the behavior of people being uh, buyers on Amazon. So they can show you preferred product, they can show you keyword, they can show you times of days and so on to proper, proper behavioral uh, insights. And I just like the way in which you can get some inspiration from what people do in, on Amazon and actually do not do. So the big advice about using things like Jungle Scat is not to find what is selling well and then you're the one selling it too at a discounted price. And you and I know that discounting is not a great and wise marketing and sales strategy, but actually finding the gaps. What is the product or service that currently is not being provided to those customers? And you can then do that for yourself. So Jungle Scout for inspiration. And then the next platform that you could look into is called Lapa.ninja, L-A-P-A dot, dot ninja. And this is uh, the work of volunteers who have gathered something like 4,000 landing pages for you to use as examples for inspiration. So we know that particularly at the time where people are going to be making swift decisions about to buy, not to buy, a landing page has been well thought out and crafted can make a huge difference. But once again, how do you know good, bad and ugly when it comes to landing pages if it's not something that you do as a, as a day job? Well, you could do with inspiration and therefore you can search this platform and get some ideas about how you might adjust your own landing pages to get more results. So there you have it. One is about the behavior and sending customers to be better. And the other is about once you know what they want and you want to attract their attention, how can you improve the appeal of your offer with maybe some better landing pages? That last one's certainly intriguing, certainly intriguing. Mm. And, I, and I bet, again, it's one of those things you could actually spend quite a lot of time just having a look at what's available, especially, um, you know, if you if it can be categorized into into different industries and different products, and you could focus in on your, yourself and what you're selling, it might give you a lot of food for thought. So I'm definitely going to be checking that one out, Pascal. Super. So what about you? What have you got for us? Okay, well, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I talked to you about my latest toy, which was the DJI Pocket 2 video camera. And one of the things that really impressed me about the Pocket 2 was it has a built-in um, remote microphone. And honestly, Pascal, this has been a bit of a re revelation for me. The fact that I can effectively put the camera down on a tripod and then walk 50 feet away and walk towards the camera and it records my audio in absolute crisp clear and as if I'm stood right next to the camera it just makes recording videos out and about so much easier and as I was uh, playing around with the DJI Pocket I came across uh, a wireless microphone specifically built for mo mobile phones and funnily enough it was an advert that popped up on Facebook and um, as, as you know I get quite annoyed with adverts that pop up on pretty much any website but this particular one did catch my attention and I think I explained on the show I had intended to do, to do this as my um, uh, 
a marketing tech and app shout out last week but i couldn't find the app the the advert again it disappeared well finally the ad did pop up again in my facebook feed and it's from a company called tech magnet tech magnet and honestly this um looks really good it's obviously the equivalent remote microphone technology to the dgi pocket 2 it works in the same way you clip uh, a receiver onto the phone and you obviously wear the remote microphone either on your lapel or you put it in your pocket and and, and add a lapel mic onto it if you want a little, it to be a little bit uh, more hidden away and again it will turn your mobile phone into a much better camera and you know mobile phones today we know are capable of taking astonishing images 4k images but sometimes the the sound can be a bit ropey and that's why a lot of people say that you really do need to invest in a decent microphone if you're going to be using a mobile phone as a camera and if you're out and about i really would suggest having a look at this tech magnet wireless microphone the smart mic wireless microphone and whilst i was on the tech magnet website i started looking at the other stuff that they had and it did remind me that whilst you were over in france pascal you were playing around with the dgi gimbal uh, okay. that we also talked about on the show a while back and tech magnet also have a range of gimbals as well and they're actually really competitively priced um but i was really attracted to their mobile phone gimbal because not only does it allow you to stabilize your shots but this one actually has a built-in key light as well which i thought was quite innovative so i I think it deserved a shout out simply for that as well so check out if you're looking to improve your video quality and your audio quality just check out Tech Magnet and, and have a look at some of their devices because they really are quite interesting. Super. It's always nice to have a different brand to mention as well. Mm. And once again, Roger, your timing is impeccable because last week a friend of mine got in touch asking about wireless microphones for smartphones. And I didn't have anything coming to mind. I did some research, but I wasn't particularly impressed with anything that I found. So I'm able to get back to him and say, guess what? Uh, I have a solution for you. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and we have given a shout out in the past on the show to the Rode um, mm. remote microphones, but they're a little bit too uh, bulky to use with mobile phones. So this one is absolutely spot on. So Pascal, as we always say on the show when we're giving shout outs to this fabulous technology, a lot of the technology that we rely on today has its roots in the past, whether it was invented or whether it was thought up in a collective, we do rely on what we use today on those famous people from the past. So let's fire up the TARDIS, let's fire up the flux capacitor, let's head back in time. It's time for This Week in History. In 1952, in the first United States test of a thermonuclear device, a hydrogen bomb named Mike was exploded at Eniwetok Atoll in the Pacific, 3,000 miles west of Hawaii. It exploded with a blinding white fireball more than three miles across, and it completely obliterated the island, leaving an underwater crater six 1,240 feet wide and 164 feet deep where that island was previously. My goodness. Well, let's change subject altogether. In 1957, The Bridge Over the River Kwai, directed by David Lean and starring William Alden and Al Guinness, is released. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture the year after. 
1978, Halloween, directed by John Carpenter and starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis, premieres at the MC Empire Theatre in Kansas City. In 1994, Roger, the first ever banner ad is purchased by AT&T on hotwired.com. About 40% of the people who saw the advert actually clicked on it. Wow. Well, let's let's stick with that, Pascal, because that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I said before that uh, I was attracted to that uh, tech magnet microphone by a pop-up ad on Facebook. Now, these days, we tend to get really quite annoyed by all these pop-up ads that blight our online experience. But I guess back in 1994, if there weren't any others, then people would be intrigued enough to click on it. My first kind of duties as a marketing assistant in the 90s was to design Banu adverts. Uh, I was literally a follow-on from doing it for print. We didn't really think that hard. We had to get used to the different dimensions. And is it uh, vertical? Is it horizontal? Is it square? Is it rectangle? And it really occupied a lot of uh, the early years of, of the internet. And people tried different ways through animation, through use of colors and text to attract your, your attention. And what, what is interesting is that often at the very beginning, because they were so colorful and because they were of the animation, they would really bring alive a website that was primarily text-based. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, again, it's it's like they always say, don't they, marketers ruin everything. I guess the original, <laughs> the original ones probably followed the rules of attracting your attention, grabbing your interest, creating a desire, and then making you do something taking action and as time's gone by we've just we've just ruined it by turning pop-up ads and banner ads into something that genuinely interrupts and worsens our experience and maybe again we should go back to basics and just look at you know the point of an advert isn't to annoy somebody so that they genuinely don't want to interact with you the point of the advert is to actually engage with the individual so how can you make your adverts engaging rather than enraging to quote my often use engage don't enrage <laughs> mantra I remember vividly the meetings we used to have were with creative people, with advertisers, people who knew their craft. And I do wonder, Roger, whether now it's given to someone who is quite junior to the organization. They're not part of the meetings that take place usually where they can hear and listen to the sounds of marketing, to the to mm -hmm. the customer-facing staff so they can get some inspiration for, for the adverts. Um, I don't know. I, I think, well, we know that the conversion rate is not 44% anymore. It's uh, close to 1%, if not if not less. But there was a time where, yeah, it was, it was an extension and there was a lot of transferable skills that perhaps are no longer there. Um, I will say that it's also the, the the mark of you know how people favor making a decision, which is I'm not going to be just charmed by a cleverly crafted advert. I want more content. And for a long, long time, when I was having discussions with my customers, I would say, well, shall we start to put together articles? Shall we do something more content rich? Nah, that's okay. Just put a banner around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Halloween. Mm. One of the best horror films ever made, probably, Pascal. It is the film that got the critics to actually say, now this is how you make a horror film. Even people that would not normally watch it. Um, I mean, for me, this this movie, it's the music that stays with me all the time. Mm, mm. 
Mm. I think uh, I was recently watching um, on YouTube one of those videos where people basically review an entire series of films. And this is just a complete coincidence, but this guy was reviewing all the Halloween films, starting with this one and actually coming right up to the present day because I believe there is actually a Halloween film. It's either just about to be released or it's recently been released. And I think it even has Jamie Lee Curtis in yep. it. Mm-hmm. But this guy's this guy's contention was that actually the 1978 film has never been bettered um, and all the sequels are actually pretty poor in various different respects Um, and interesting and and something that I didn't realize is that John Carpenter's original uh, idea was that Halloween was going to be a sort of overarching almost like an anthology series of films which is why the third film of the um, of the series didn't have um didn't have the the slasher motif at all it was all about people being taken over by by microchips um it was called silver shamrock or something two more days to halloween halloween oh, something God, like that yeah, yeah. and uh, Awful and song yeah <laughs> yeah and, and it was you know that this guy who was reviewing the film saying actually the only film out of the series that he thought did work as a sequel was that one because it 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 would have fitted into an anthology a bit like the american horror series where every year they do a new series and the only thing that is consistent is it's the same actors but it's a completely different story it's not an evolving story year in year out and and i think that's interesting would you agree that they've never bettered the original Oh, completely. And as a fan, I'll, I've watched and seen all of them. And, and the recent one, Halloween Halloween Kills, which then will finish, uh, I would tell, next year with Halloween Ends, you know, f- famous words. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, the same character, Jamie Curtis, is kind of uh, being, we explore her life as um, the, the, the first victim then, obviously, she turns around. But I would say, yeah, the 1978, I would go back to it. I would not watch any of the others. But thank you for clarifying the one, number three, which I think is called The Mask of the Witch or The Year of the Witch, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that makes complete sense now. And I might then go back to it with that information, which is they're all meant to be separate as opposed to yeah. being the same story that you follow through. Absolutely. And maybe um, Halloween deserves to be in our film marketing section (laughs) at some point. So, Pascal, once again, always interesting to go back in time. Uh, We probably should have talked about the atomic bomb because that was genuinely scary. Um, And, you know, let's hope that we never, ever have to fire off one of those horrible devices in anger Mm. in the future so let's come right back into the present and now we're going to shine a spotlight on some of our creator friends so pascal let's move on to creator shout outs well pascal who are you giving a shout out to this week so once again, this is a rather long overdue shout-out, Roger, for the team at We Are Umi. We're doing an amazing job. They've done so for many years now to inform customers and small business owners about how to grow and how to do things better and faster. But they launched recently a new podcast series called UmiCast, which I think has a great you know tone to it. It is hosted by Richard Dawson, and they have had some amazing guests so far, including 
Ian Livingstone, the man behind Games Workshop, Fighting Fantasy, yeah. and brought the D&D kind of franchise and brand to the UK. But they also had entrepreneurs such as Johnny Grobin and Lizzie Hotcroft. I have spoken to Richard and I've told him that I was very envious and jealous that he got to spend some time with Ian Livingstone, one of my heroes, because as we've shared on Two Geeks and Martin podcast, you and I have... Um, used and played uh, role-playing games and we still continue to be informed and enthused by by the, the good works i put the links in in the show notes so once again for me it's a celebrating new beginnings when it comes to the podcast but also long overdue because if you go to the we are umi platform you're going to find a plethora of content written form video form and so on that can really help your business move forward and richard if you're listening i know that I am, if you could arrange a follow-up conversation with ian livingstone for roger and i to attend that would be just wonderful. <laughs> Definitely. I'm a massive fan of those fighting fantasy books. They were a very clever idea so far ahead of their time when they were written back in the, uh, mm. the late 80s. So, yeah, I will be there if you can arrange that, Pascal. <laughs> so um, I, I actually... Um, I'm going to shout out a podcast as well. Recently, I took the decision to almost start my podcasting listening um from scratch. So I, I took the um, the Apple podcasting app and pretty much deleted all my subscriptions, apart from a very few. And I think I was just getting a bit tired of listening to the same marketing gurus talking the same stuff. Um, and I thought, let, let's just introduce some completely new, new blood into this. I did keep a few. And one of the ones that I did keep was the Moth storytelling mm. podcast, which I've shouted out on the show before. But it just made me think, um, I, I, I wonder whether there are any more similar storytelling podcasts out there in the same ilk as the Moth. And I came across one called The Stoop storytelling podcast um quite a strange title i have to say the stoop and uh, i i should have researched it a bit more and come and gone and find out where the the word stoop came from and what how, and, and how it relates to the name of the podcast but i and i just started listening to it and then got embroiled in the experience of hearing all of these people's stories and just like the moth they give a microphone to the ordinary man on the street. You know, some of these people aren't expert public speakers, but most of them have got really interesting stories to tell. And again, it's one of those shows that you can just be sucked into. And you, when you look up, you know, a couple of hours have gone by. So it's, it's uh, hosted by a couple of ladies, Laura Wexling and Jessica Henkin. And if you li love stories, real-life stories told by real-life people... And it will give you ideas for your own stories that you can use in your presentations or even if you want to appear on a show like this. Give it a try, the Stoop Storytelling Podcast. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Roger. Okay. Okay, Pascal. Creator shout-out's done. We've got one more section of the show to do. I teased it earlier on. It's film marketing, and we are going to be talking about The Evil Dead. And it's the film marketing section of the show, Pascal. And this week we're going to be talking about The Evil Dead, which I think is probably one of the scariest films, one of the most horrific and gory films <laughs> ever made. So let's just remind ourselves just how horrible and how gory it actually was by watching the trailer again. 
Girlfriend, you take care of her. Wow. I mean, the memory doesn't cheat on this occasion, Pascal, does it? The Evil Dead, definitely one of the scariest, most horrible and gory films ever made. What do you think? Well, I was thinking about our listeners. If you're listening to the podcast version, going through that trailer must have been quite harrowing because of the screaming and all the noise. But for me, Uh, We'll talk in a moment about memories and when you first saw it, but this is the ultimate masterclass in indie filmmaking, being so incredibly ingenious with the things we're going to mention in a moment, but also telling the story that actually moves quite fast. You know, they get to the point about the story. And yes, not no concerns given for uh, as you, we know the, um, the the safety and the well being of the cast and crew, yeah. as well as yeah. obviously the views of the censorship at the time. Yeah, and and again, I, I'm I'm thinking back. Uh, there was such a lot of con- controversy about this film at the time, wasn't there? And and we're talking about forty years, obviously, since since it was released. And I did have it confused in my head at, uh, uh, when I was thinking back. Did I see the film before the controversy, or did I go to see it because of the controversy? And I'm I'm pretty certain now that I did see it before. It got all the big headlines right. and it got ban- banned and all of those sort of things. And I genuinely saw it at the time just as a horror film that looked like it was a must-see horror film. For me, I saw it probably a few years after its original release. A friend of mine had it on VHS cassette, and I was aware that would be the kind of thing that my parents would not approve of, so I had to wait for them to, <laughs> to go to bed. But yeah, in my head, and in terms of the um, you know the mood of the time, this was alongside the um, Driller Killer, I Spit on Your Graves, and so on. And I think, unfairly so, uh, I don't think it's nowhere near as nasty as uh, the term was used by the UK and French press uh, as it is. It just told a scary story really well with some uh, nice hint to the H.P. Lovecraft world that I knew already because of the uh, role-playing games, going back to that again. Yeah, and again, I, I, 
when it was released in the UK, it received an X certificate, right. um, which was now is the equivalent of what we now call the 18 certificate. And I wasn't 18 at the time, <laughs> but I remember actually managing to sneak my way into the cinema <laughs> to see this. There were, back, back in Lytham St. Anne's, they used to have this small cinema. It was called the ABC Cinema. And the lady who was on the... Um, the counter was actually pretty good at letting people who were sort of 17, 18, 16 and 17 into see X films. So I, I guess she was breaking the law to a certain extent, but I'm not going to hold that against her because I got to see a few films that perhaps I wouldn't have been allowed to see at the time. And I remember going to see this film with one of my first ever girlfriends and there's a particularly controversial scene in the film involving a tree um it's it's almost it's, it's a really quite scary tree rape scene and i remember when this scene happened the, the girl just shouted out oh i felt that and literally everybody in the who was in the in the rows in front of us turned round to look at us and it was like oh my goodness the spotlight's now on us and i've never forgotten that but it was a real shock at the time um but she almost like broke the spell to a certain extent mm. and i don't know whether people should we laugh should we should we give disapproving looks but it, it so i think it broke the spell at that moment i mean you saw it on the on the big screen i mean that was scary mm. enough for me watching it uh in the dark in in our living room on on the small on the small tv screen and for me the, the one bit that movie gets under your skin uh, and I, I know that watching it 40 years later people are going to say it's not that scary anymore maybe yeah. not unless you play the game along but you can't deny that in terms of what they had available to yeah. them the storytelling using camera angles using movement a lot i mean i've never seen a camera mm. move through the forest to suggest that the, the, the evil spirit who was attacking them was uh, traveling through 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 the forest and through the the, the cabin the wooden cabin yeah. as well but uh, for me the one scene where i thought this is now scaring me properly is the very first uh, possession scene where mm. uh, ash's girlfriend is possessed by the demon and when they're playing cards remember that scene vaguely yeah and yeah. and then suddenly she, she pivots and she's been held by um i mean we think sam raimi must have taken woodworking at college because all the <laughs> contraption he built but she's floating in the air with that kind of uh, crooked neck and the voice yeah. has been twisted and she's uh, her eyes have rolled out they're all white and she's talking to the rest of um, the traveling companion i was scared senseless by that <laughs> yeah and and, the, and again another memory for me is when they trap one of the possessed humans oh, yes. in in the um in the cellar below and she's pushing up and they've obviously chained the uh the roof the the, the door of the cellar and it's just bang 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 and oh yeah absolutely so pascal do you think i mean it was a low budget film wasn't it obviously do you think the marketing was low budget as well well it was officially, but people didn't know that. Now, typically mm. when we do the film marketing uh, segment, Roger and I will research what is available online and, and kind of use memory as well and whatever. But we have, for the first time ever, Roger, a far better source than the internet. We have mm -hmm. the man himself, Bruce Campbell. In his right. book, If Chin Could Kill, he tells a story of the marketing campaign. 
Ah. And what is interesting, although the book is about his career, and but of course a big chunk of the book is about him being part of the Evil Dead franchise and mm. the many, many discomfort and frankly physical abuse he suffered to be able to pull <laughs> this off. But when he came to the um, marketing of the film, this will surprise listeners with a 2021-22 mindset, but they were so busy creating the film that they forgot all about the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to then play catch up, and what they did go for is what we, what we want to call between you and I the low to no budget premiere. Mm-hmm. So in in order to secure media coverage, they created to use Bruce Campbell's terms a show within a show, whereby mm-hmm. they would create kind of um, Evil Dead tickets and programs, so you, you could use them as collector items. They would have cassette playing woods and wind sound effects inside the, the theaters. They also had an ambulance outside of theaters, and the security <laughs> guard suggesting this film is so horrible, some of you won't be able to make it till the end, and will have to be escorted to, back to the hospital with, with an ambulance. Of course, all of this is just good, good PR stunt, but it did play off. Yeah, that's a really good idea, isn't it? Putting the ambulance outside. <laughs> it reminds me of a of a, a story I once read about a roller coaster that was uh, that was called the the, the cyclone, um, and it was at the time it was notorious because there was actually a nurse on station at this roller coaster all the time because so many people were passing out when they were riding it. And it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? We're we're so convinced that this film is so horrific and so gory (laughs) that you might actually need medical attention. That's just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So they did that for a while, Roger, until eventually they meet the right person. Mm. Now... After extensive networking, they meet a sales agent that may not be known, be known to people, but Irvin Shapiro would be known mm-hmm. to filmmakers. He pretty much is one of the co-founders of the Cannes Film Festival. And once again, using Bruce Campbell's own words and what followed from this encounter with Irvin Shapiro was a lesson in sales from the Grandmaster. <laughs> I didn't realize they changed the name mm. um, of the film from The Book of the Dead to the evil dead i guess it makes sense because they find the book don't they that's what the, that was what kicks it all off they're they're reading out the uh, the spells and the incantations from the book and that's what resurrects the, the horrible spirits uh, but i didn't realize that the the original title of the film was the book of the dead Absolutely. So we know from the against Bruce uh, Campbell's own account, but also was on the internet, that with the change of the name, they have to change the posters, they have to change the artwork, the trailers, all this financed obviously by Irvin Shapiro with a view of getting his money back from the sale of The Evil Dead. They even did um, merchandise, Roger, um, uh-huh. T-shirts. I didn't know, but of course, these were different times, uh, matchbooks and matchboxes with the Evil Dead artwork on it, hats, pins, brochures, invitations galore. And importantly, they traveled, took the film and themselves to two major events, the American Film Market and the Cannes Film Festival, which for um, all listeners and viewers are the exhibitions and expo trade shows of that industry as you would attend your own shows. And whilst they were there, somebody very important saw the film, and that was what we call the breakthrough, Roger. Yeah, and of course, that person who saw the film was none other than Stephen King, one of the most prolific and celebrated horror authors of all time. And 
I guess it was his quote, wasn't it? He saw the film at the Cannes Film Festival and he then said, this is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. And they took that quote and literally put it on everything, the posters and the, all the things that you've um, mentioned so far, the the, uh, the matchboxes and hat pins and everything. And imagine at the time, I mean, that was probably when Stephen King was absolutely on his, ascens- his ascension, you know. He was a few years into his, his author journey, had published some of his best novels like The Shining and Salem's Lot and, and Firestarter, uh, etc. So everybody knew who Stephen King was mm. and to get that endorsement i'm sure that must have put lots of bums on cinema seats that's it and and for me whilst you know nowadays we have this unfortunate term of influencer marketing that is a perfect (laughs) example Uh, but it's all about putting all the different things in place so for me this idea of a not being afraid to know your limits and asking others so in the case of Irvin Shapiro that you know Sam Raimi Bruce Campbell's and all the others knew that they didn't know how to sell so well so they listened to him but that breakthrough with Stephen King which was unprompted I mean they didn't even know that he was going to be at the Cannes Film Festival and usually what happens still to this day Roger is what I call the the ripple effect so once Stephen King wrote that article in the Twilight Zone magazine, then all of them, all the other magazines, radio and TV, then carried that quote, thinking, well, Stephen King must be right. And one magazine in particular, Fangoria, which I used to buy in the in the in, yes. the, in the in the 80s and 90s, uh, Fangoria ran a series of articles, which I think is very very important. And then the the result of that was Roger that the critics and distributors changed their minds. So yes. what was to them a kind of indie, kind of scary schlock movie that wasn't worthy of their consideration. Now that Stephen King, now that Irvin Shapiro and the others are kind of carrying the, the, the flame, the torch, so to speak, then they changed their minds and they then promoted the movie, which is why actually it's quite hard to pin down when Evil Dead was released because it nearly had a two, three-year kind of distribution uh, ripple effect. Yeah, and and again, as I said earlier, the memory does cheat, and I'm I'm pretty sure that when I did go to see the film, it was before the big controversy. But I'm sure that as well, it was it had come back to the cinema uh-huh. when I went to see it. So it, it it had already been released, and then it had come back. So again, may, maybe I did see it in amongst all the controversy. I just can't pin down exactly when it was, <laughs> uh, but the controversy really carried on for a number of years especially when the 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 uh vhs video came out um and I, and it was the film has been banned and is still banned in some countries and and i'm i'm pretty sure that the vhs cassette that came out was very heavily edited compared to the original cinema. Oh, it would have been cer- in the UK, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it certainly didn't have the aforementioned scary tree scene in it. I, mean, I know that that had been either edited out totally or it was edited so much that effectively you couldn't see or tell what was actually happening. Uh, of course, eventually it was then re-released in its unedited form at a later date, but I do remember being disappointed when the when I hired the uh, VHS cassette from Blockbuster or, or wherever it was um, and thought, oh, they've edited this so much, they've taken out quite a lot of the scary bits. Absolutely. I mean, it remained, however, in the 80s, one, one of the, the top-selling 
video cassette as well as the rental mm. market. For me, uh, the controversy, like I said, is not justified when you compare it to the real nasty videos where the, the directors were there to shock and there was no stories, there was no attempt to... Um, when you look at the filmmaking techniques used by Sam Remy ahead of its time in terms of the angle, in terms of how he used the movement to express emotions and to scare you, it almost yeah. really arcs back to you and I when we reviewed Joe's. You, know, you don't mm. see the evil spirit for quite some time, but they mm. use sort of storytelling technique to, to help you out with uh, having a, a great time. And yeah. more importantly, it's this idea of the marketing campaign whereby start local, but uh, don't be surprised if then you go global. No, I, I really love the, the sort of influencer sort of angle here. You know, we, we, we've we been quite disparaging on the show about influencers and, and for good reasons. But that that breakthrough moment when Stephen King made that, that that comment about this film just changed everything for them and it's such that is that is how you would like influencer <laughs> marketing to work isn't mm. it? it rather than some somebody stood on a on a beach in the caribbean or something like that this is this is genuine genuine example of how influencer marketing should be Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Roger, for having a look back at The Evil Dead and I think we'll be watching this this weekend again yeah it's funny my wife said to me last night uh, as she always does what film are we watching on thursday night because i know we, she knows that we record the show on a friday uh, i said oh it's the evil dead probably don't need to watch it again because i just know i've watched it so many times but you're absolutely right now we've talked about it i'm thinking okay i'm gonna have to see if i can dig out i'm sure i've got the dvd somewhere let's have to dig the dvd out of the evil dead and give it another watch so thank you as always, Pascal, for your companionship and your wisdom and your contributions to the show. It's always good to get together with you as a co-host for Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. And thank you, everybody, for listening and thank you, everybody, for watching. Do please tell us what you think of the current episode. Let us know your comments. Either leave a comment on the YouTube uh, page or talk to us on Twitter. We'd love to get your feedback and let and, and hear what you think about the topics that we've discussed today in the show. So I think that's it, Pascal. Until next time, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Mm-hmm.